Welcome back to Balagan. The official starting pistol fired its shot at 10 p.m. on February 4, 2021, when the Likud parties list was submitted to the Central Election Committee. 39 parties in total submitted and will contest in the upcoming election with 14 main players with actual changes. 39 parties in total submitted and will contest in the upcoming election with only 14 players with actual chances of being elected. And today, to put things in order, I am joined by a dear friend, Nili Reichman, CEO and founder of Humanizing Public Identity Branding. Nili is an experienced consultant in the fields of communication strategies, specializes in political campaigns and crisis management. In the past, she worked closely with both Prime Minister Netanyahu and Chairman of Yesh Atid, and member of the Knesset, Yair Lapid. Nili, welcome to Balagan. Hi, thank you for having me here. I must add that also Gideon Saar, I used to consult him also, so let's be on the disclosure matters, uh, let's be done with that. Yeah, you are right. I forgot about him. I remember that you worked with him, but I forgot to mention it. So thank you for uh, bringing it up. So Nili, what do you say? Where do you want to start? From the right, from the left? The Arab parties, who's running against who? President Ruven uh, Ruby Rivlin uh, is saying that there used to be right and left, and now there's only right and wrong. So perhaps we're going to start with the right. So if you're going to look at the right wing, you're going to see that Netanyahu constructed it mainly to drain out every vote that will go under the threshold uh, numbers. So he can promise that every right vote will be counted in in the Knesset. On the left-hand side, we see that they did not organize themselves at all, which uh, makes them lose a lot of uh, potential voters. But if we concentrate on the right for one second, we can see there that the Likud is based on around 28, 30 mandates in the polls out of uh, 120. And he he's has the biggest also, party. Yes, he's the biggest party. He changes strategy from a coalition strategy to uh, the biggest party strategy because he understands that the fight for the 61, which is the fight that he handled three elections in a row, is not the right fight here. Netanyahu doesn't need a big coalition. He only needs 61. So in order to get the mandate from the president, he needs to be certain that no one is even close to him, that he is like a tower in the dark, like a lighthouse, showing everything around, but he's the only one at this side. So he arranged around him, well, he have the ultra-orthodox, both uh, Shas and Yaduta Torah, which are with him for uh, the last uh, three election rows. And then he doesn't know what's going to be with Bennett, with uh, Yamina party. So he's basing his potential 61 on the ultra-Orthodox and also the religious Zionist party, hoping to get 61 without Bennett, which is like the kingmaker of this election. You want to talk about him a bit? Yes, definitely. Okay, so Bennett, started this election with very high numbers in the poll. He uh, fighting Netanyahu regarding COVID-19 and how it should be handled here in Israel. Even though we have the vaccines, we have a lot of mortality in Israeli numbers, of course. Yes. And also the sick people numbers doesn't go down. We have uh, the British variant and all kinds of unmanageable operations that uh, doesn't make the vaccine operation work as Prime Minister Netanyahu expected. He hoped to be now in a reality when everything is open, the markets are open and the schools, but it's not what we are facing yet. We're still waiting for the numbers to drop 
Today, we had a very big fight again at the COVID cabinet between uh, Gantz, who is the security minister, and Prime Minister Netanyahu. It's a daily show. And he's also the alternate prime minister. Yes, the alternate prime minister and minister of communication and minister of legal issues. And also, I think that both of them are suspicious in not having the public interest in their eyes, but uh, looking towards March 23rd, the election day. So um, Naftali Bennett, the head of the Amina party, he started this election with uh, big numbers in the polls. He gave a fight to Netanyahu regarding how COVID-19 is managed in Israel, mostly in the fields of economic, you know, Of result. how they're handling the COVID crisis in overall. Yes, but also identifying the sick people before they get to be spreaders and to handle the situation correctly, given that we have the vaccines here and we have the opportunity to really be the first country to go out of COVID-19 after, of course, New Zealand. So Naftali Bennett lost a lot of uh, numbers because his supporters, they are not rough supporters. They are very critical and they tend to move and Bennett tends to lose them in the last few weeks, lost a lot of strength, but he still stayed his place as the fourth party in a row, which is uh, not bad for him. But the main thing with Bennett, I think, that there is no coalition without him. There is no scenario that any government can be formed without Bennett in it. This is why Netanyahu chose the strategy he chose in the right wing. But even if you look at what's called the left center wing, they can't form a government even without Bennett and Diamina inside. So we're going to see a lot of fights over there. Oh, most um, likely that he's going to be the next king maker, as they say. This is you why know? Netanyahu started a campaign saying no rotation. No more rotation in Israel. Yeah. <laughs> We're done with that because he knows that Bennett won't take the second term of rotation. And it, the first like term, do you think that Bennett and will he's believe Netanyahu? One that you can <laughs> easily because he knows how to make business with Netanyahu. So Netanyahu is campaigning no rotation anymore hoping to drop the public legitimacy for Bennett to even demand it after the election. Bennett can choose the right wing or what's called the left uh, center wing, which I think is no longer the right definition for the division in Israel. Because I think the division in Israel is between keeping the situation the way it is with prime minister that is suspect... uh, As a big balagan or to try and make Israel normal again in a way. Make Israel great again, maybe? No, let's not go there. Israel is always great, but to make it uh, more more normal, I would say. I think we lost a lot of statehood and a lot of um, respectfulness in the public sphere, in the communicational sphere. Debates are personal, bullying, and not on the essence, rather than on the person. An ideology. Yeah, in the painful areas. So if we're still going to continue looking at the map, we're going to see... Gideon Saar is a New Hope party, which is still continuing, even though he dropped in the numbers, he's continuing to hold his place as the third party in the polls. Gideon Saar's mission is to try to defer himself from the Likud, to say, we are the real Likud, we are the real statehood uh, right, and if you are Likud in your soul, come home. And if you are the beast, like the... And stay the with Bibi, Netanyahu. Yes, Stay with Netanyahu, because we are the really good. We are the place where you can find your values, you can identify with, and you find a person that tries to make this place better again for the sake of our children. If you go another step to the left, you're going to find the Wait, I want to ask you a question about it. 
I mean, yes. you said that Gidon Saar and New Hope are trying to identify themselves as the real Likud, like the authentic, I would call it the Hadara Beitari, you know, the... Yes, the Buddhist, but, his manners and principles, and even in the sense of forming a new framework in order to deliver values. Uh, Jabotinsky right. didn't hesitate to do that in the early days of the State of Israel with Ben-Gurion. He formed a new Istadrut trying to lead the idea and not condemning the framework. So I think this is like a good way to uh, example it to the past. But I think that his main challenge at the moment for Saar, he started quite high. I mean, once he announced his uh, joining the race, and he automatically, if I remember correctly, on the first press uh, conference, he said that he's coming to replace Netanyahu and he's running for prime minister, even though we need to remind our audience that it's not exactly like in America, you don't run for the role of prime minister, you are being elected to the Knesset and the Knesset, you need to form a coalition. But he made a statement and he took a couple of mandates from the Likud and actually a couple of mandates from Bennett, right? I mean, when you're looking at it. Even more than a couple, yes. But Netanyahu is still firm with almost every fourth Israeli supporting him. So it means that eventually he didn't hurt the Likud that much. The polls are creating an illusion because the biggest party in Israel is the party of the undecided. We have between 23-25% in every poll. We haven't decided yet who they're going to vote in less than 40 days. And they are not even sure that they are going to come. We are the left-hand side wing. A mandate in each city that he owns, owns, you know, um, because people didn't go out and vote. So I think the main mission in this election will be to go out and vote and take your right and take your obligation to say which kind of country you want to live in in the next six months or four years, whatever it takes in Israel first. Um, So basically... I think the threshold numbers, the 3.5%, and the numbers of participants in the elections, this will be the most important numbers in this election. So you see in the polls that Netanyahu keeps his 28-30 mandates, but given on how these 23-25% of undecided are divided between the parties, given what they voted before, and other perspective that they give. But... I and most of them are actually coming... to say one of every four people. It's not, it's not real numbers to say that. Well, you're right. One of every four potential voters that said that they are going to vote for someone. And you're actually yes. right. We need to discuss uh, Smotrich as well because we didn't finish with what's happening on the right. But would you mm-hmm. say that most of the undecisive are actually coming from the center-left? You know, the people who are saying that they have nobody to vote, no, maybe after Benny Gantz... Right? Uh, was their last messiah? It was blue and white in the last elections. Yeah. And they were very disappointed from Gantz forming a government with Netanyahu after those elections. But I think that those are the same voters that in 2015 voted for Netanyahu. Those are the same voters who are seeing the change in the Likud and in Netanyahu and in the Mariners taking towards the court. We remember the event at the opening of Netanyahu trials at the court in Jerusalem. So we all remember the famous photographs with everybody's mouth is closed with the mask and Netanyahu is attacking the justice system in Israel. So you wanted to speak about uh, Benvir. This is uh, another aspect of losing statehood. Benvir is the student of uh, Kahana, which uh, Prime Minister Shamir 
back in those days, in the late 80s, used to step out of the hall of the Knesset yes. when Kahana went up to uh, give a speech. So I think this is one step too far for a lot of Likud people who stayed with Netanyahu, even though he was indicted. And uh, even after that, they still stayed with him. But something broke. I think the COVID-19, other than affecting Israel economy and society in a lot of ways, I think it opened the engine box of the government. And then Israelis could see how decisions are made, how interest comes over the right thing to do, how political issues make a decision instead of giving the numbers and managing the event by the numbers and the needs. So I think a lot of Israelis after this year, and a lot of them lost their jobs, a lot of them will have kids at home for like a year in a row, and they just went back, but we know it's temporarily. So it's been a very tough year in Israel. So I'm not sure he's going to keep the support that he had before. And also, I'm not sure that Netanyahu's supporters would be as anxious to go out on the election day as the ones that want to replace Netanyahu, because they think that the drive of replacing is uh, much higher than the drive of keeping everything like it is. But on the other hand, they don't see any alternative. I mean, in the last two elections, you had Blue and White, who was formed by uh, Yesh Atid and Hossein Israel and Telem. It was a combination of three parties actually running under one roof, and eventually it crashed. And I think that it broke the trust and the faith of many of Netanyahu's opposers who at the moment, they don't see either Yeshatid, we're going to get to speak about Yair Lapid, who is uh, getting more votes in the polls at the moment, but it's still not as high as Kahol Avan or as Blue and White. And by the way, you're talking about Bennett. I can give him that, that when he was opposing the government, unlike uh, Gidon Saar, who is saying the name Netanyahu, Bennett did not confront Netanyahu directly. He was talking about the government and about setting an alternative. And I think that is something that we are missing in the Israeli environment, that nobody is discussing, you know, what are the alternates? What can you do differently? And that's something that gained him some support. But as you said, eventually it was soft supporters because they supported the idea. They didn't support the personality of Naftali Bennett. So once they had a chance, they moved out of what we call in Hebrew the parking lot. So yeah, let's speak about uh, Yair Lapid now. The guy that it seems who's going to either lead the opposition in the upcoming Knesset, or maybe, maybe, do you really think that he has a chance to form a different coalition? I think that uh, the Israeli voters will decide. Well, Lapid raised his numbers by four or five mandates in the last month. I think that... Um, he had a reality campaign, which is much better than something you write on a computer in a dark room because people saw how they paid the price for the performance of the interests of the ultra-Orthodox or how their kids are staying home and the other kids having their schools. So I think Lapid was wise enough not to attack any of those uh, groups of people and he let the reality and the news do the campaign for him. I think that Lapid is collecting the fruits of a lot of years, intense years of political work. He's, he jumped in the political water nine years ago, which is a long time in Israeli politics. 
He had a very good numbers in the first elections. He had 19 mandates. 19. But if you look at those results of 2013, you can see that he was close enough to form a government then. One of his election promises was that uh, the biggest party will form the government, so he couldn't break his own word. But if Lapid would play the game that needs to be played now, he could form a government in 2013. He had the numbers to do that. So I think now he wouldn't be afraid of that or he's politically mature. His leadership is much more um, uh, solid and uh, he had some political wins with uh, resolving the Knesset and also breaking Cholavan with MK Asaf Zamir and uh, Miki Chaimovich and Ram Shefa. So I think Lapid has earned his place as main force in the center left wing. And I think, you know, if we look at the last two years, it was an accident after an accident. Maybe now we are taking out of this course, of this round. Well, I think Lapid is a really interesting character. I mean, he formed his party, Eshatid, based on the whole experience his father had with Shinui. And one of his lessons was, I'm not going to get dumped like my father in Shinui. And that's why, in a way, he got criticized for one of the reasons why Ofer Shelach, for example, left him. Ofer Shelach was trying to form a different party, Tnufa, and he withdrew from this race on the last day. But, yes, but I must but, say that I saw that Lapid announced that Yeshatid uh, was going to have primaries in the next year. So I think those arguments are yeah. overweight. Honestly, it's hard for me at least to see how can we form a government with, you know, let's say Bennett and Saar on one hand and the support of the joint list on the other hand, because I doubt, you know, we'll have to wait and see after March 23rd, of course, but we'll have to wait and see what's going to be the actual numbers of the parties. But it's going to be hard, almost impossible to form a coalition without the support of Bennett and Saar on one hand, I would say collaboration, it's not just support, because they're not going to go just for supporting the coalition and being a part of the coalition. Maybe they will ask for a rotation, right? I think and so. the joint list, on the other hand, which will be crucial to form an alternate coalition to Netanyahu. But it's it wouldn't be look as a regular forming of government, not that there is anything regular in forming government in Israel, but I think it's going to be two steps. I think the first step will be that Netanyahu if those will be the result, will not have 61 votes that right. will ask the president to give him the work of forming the government. But if they're going to have that, if they're going to have those 61 fingers, they can pass a bill saying no one can form a government while he's having his legal issues uh, running around. Netanyahu wants the 61 because he wants the French bill. And right. the others want the 61 because they don't want to give it to him. So this will be the first step. If they're going to have the 61 or more than that, of course, they can pass that bill and then Netanyahu is out of the game. Netanyahu can be only member of the Knesset. He can't be minister while having the legal issues. This was already decided several, several years ago. So he can be only member of the Knesset and he can ask, I think, for another immunity from the new Knesset that will be aligned. But other than that, he won't have any other options then it's a whole new ballgame. Because Elikud will have to choose who, other than Netanyahu, will be the head of this framework and who will engage with Lapid or Saar or Bennett or whoever will have 
the biggest party. And based on the basic law of the government, we need to remind the audience that only a member of the Knesset can be at the moment a prime minister. Yes. But you have to remember another thing. If a government won't be formed after this election, and we're going to be drawn into another election, then Benny Gantz, who is only four, maybe today even less, and doesn't pass the threshold, can be the prime minister. Because the law that hasn't been changed yet is saying Gantz is going to be the prime minister from, I think, November November 20th. 2021. Yes. That was a part of the power government agreement between Blue and White and the Likud. And I think so, this is the only reason that Gantz uh, hadn't retired yet from this uh, race, because his numbers are very bad. He wants to keep the option of this November. And, well, I hope we will have stability before that. So let's talk about Gantz, because it's really interesting at the moment, when we're looking at Gantz and Blue and White and actually Meretz, those are two parties that at one point, Kaholavan Blue and White was the biggest fraction in the Knesset. And Meretz was almost always an opposition party, besides a couple of breaks under Rabin and under Ehud Barak. They were always an opposition party. At their peak, they were 14 mandates. That was 1992. And now they barely crossed the threshold based on the polls. So both them and Kahol Avan are technically endangering almost 8 to 9% of the left center-left voters. But it's not both of them, because if Gantz will drop out of this race, his vote is going to uh, divide between Lapid and Gidon Saar and the, the labor with Merav Michaeli. And I think none is going to merit. So merit will be able to save its own power, bringing back the traditional voters of the left wing. And this is why they based their strategy on that. They took a very hard uh, left turn. They're going to talk about the Palestinians again, about uh, human rights. They're going to be as leftish as possible to make sure that they have every vote. Don't forget that they have potential vote in the Arab sector. The joint Arab list has broken down to two parties and it's potential for them to bring Arab socialists to vote to merits. Other than that, I think Merah Michaeli is someone that we should talk about She's the only woman, the only female running in the head of the party. It's not easy for her, I think. The old powers in the Labour Party are trying to mess everything around as they do every the time. Markets, and the markets, the markets, of course. Yes, but I hope she will have this week to arrange everything. But the real election is going to start in the beginning of March. This is when we're going to see all the negative ads and clips running around in the in the WhatsApps and Facebook and whatever, we're seeing that the party is saving their money to the last two, three weeks, trying to build the right momentum that will draw those undecided in the last days. In Israel, there are people that decide what they're going to vote. In the poll. In the Kalpi itself, yeah. up behind the curtain, looking at the table and see what they can vote to. So there is also very big importance to how you arrange the field how many people you have in every uh, ballot place, ballot, how many yeah. supporters you have all around the areas, the relevant areas. Uh, do you create presence that shows power? If you do it right, you're able to uh, gain some more voters in every ballot place, which is summing up to a lot. So I think we summon all the parties. Now, we didn't talk about Lieberman. Let, 
We didn't speak about Lieberman, right. Lieberman stands technically along with Saar, right? I mean, he's a hard right wing, eventually. He's the only one who's talking clearly against the ultra-Orthodox, and I think he's trying to uh, shine in that matter. I wouldn't like to call it shine, but, you know, he's trying to be the only one speaking against it, and there is a big reason for that. Saar knows he needs the ultra-Orthodox as well, and he keeps on good relations with them. He always had a good relations with the ultra-Orthodox. I think that Lapid, in a way, is trying not to get them upset, so he may have a chance with them, even though and he's... And you know, we had a chance to see this morning a uh, member of the Knesset from Yadut Torah, the United Torah Judaism Party, said that Lapid is now more mature and he's changed. So I think that the ground is starting to be prepared for the day after Netanyahu. I think when the ultra-Orthodox looks at Netanyahu, going from Tira to Umar Fahim, trying to make people get vaccinated and also to gain one, two, three mandates in the Arab street, they see themselves maybe as, you know, the one that they're obvious on his block. And I'm not sure it's uh, fulfilling their interest to be so obvious. Maybe they should try to, you know, make Netanyahu promise again. Every election, he makes every uh, one in the Likud uh, sign that he is loyal to Netanyahu. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps now the ultra-Orthodox will ask Netanyahu to decide that he is loyal to them also. He really needs them. He can't do anything without them. So I think they have a really good position to exploit it, to get promises that they want. And they always have things that, that they would like to have budgets for and governmental consents to. And they really know politics, so you give them that. And they really know politics. I think Lieberman is trying to deal with the fact that his main crowd is vaping out. The main people who themselves did Aliyah from uh, the U.S. countries in the 90s might not live here anymore or might not see themselves anymore as ex-Russians, ex-Soviet countries' citizens. Mainly the second generation, I mean, the younger generation, people, for example, our age, that moved to Israel as kids, they don't, Even you know... Even a lot of them support Zelicha, which is uh, the head of the economic party. Yeah, that um, we didn't touch him, that he's also biting yes. uh, a couple of uh, potential mandates from the center-left. Yes, but he's also giving them the economical alternative, because uh, if you remember the first round of 2019... We had uh, most of the high-tech people, those who make high salaries, really, really liked. They were the ones... They liked some of it, I mean... Him until they saw him, uh, you know, handling his feet on TV. And that's what dropped him the support. So I think that now the game will be, again, the number of participants, the ability of every party to take out their own voters and potential voters and get up and vote. And I think that the winner will be the one that will be able to draw the horizon. I think Israelis are living in the chaos for a long time. We have two years of uh, political balagan, and uh, we're trying to get our way out of this. So I think people are feeling that, you know, it's enough, it's time to do something differently. But if not, you know, we're going to see each other again in August. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope not for the sake yeah, of the state of Israel. Yeah. I think that we should have a solid government that will form, you know, long-term policies, 
and long-term goals and... Create a budget that will enable every uh, government ministry to work. We have a lot of social projects that were stopped in Israel because of the budget crisis and, you know, every small business in the budget to work, a country more of the... But you see, for Netanyahu, I will say that that's the phenomena, if I would say, because Israel doesn't have a budget for more than two years. The last budget passed was for 2018, and we are running now almost, it's going to be the third year now without a budget. That was why he mainly called Gantz. He told him, we're going to pass a budget. You're going to mm-hmm. be my partner. We're going to... And then once Gantz took the bait... Then Netanyahu forgot about the budget. There were more important matters. And he, Let me and tell you why Netanyahu to... hasn't passed the budget yet. It was true even last year, even before the COVID-19 and its effect on the Israeli market. We had a situation where we needed to put in taxes to uh, cut budget in the ministry's office. And that was going to be a very tough budget as it is. Now, add to that the COVID-19 consequences. And, you know, everybody knows the next budget will have to cut in, yeah. in the flesh. In the flesh. No other option. And Netanyahu knows the political price of doing that. He was the finance minister yeah. who passed the toughest budget of 2003. 2003. He was responsible enough to make those very, very tough steps. And he paid the price for it in the next election. So seeing him now not well, passing a budget, so you I, know that everything is twisted around because of other reasons. I would say that he paid the price not for the budget cuts he made in 2003, but because the voters punished him for, you know, going against Sharon with the disengagement, even though he supported the disengagement twice in the Knesset. But definitely the ultra-Orthodox were angry at Netanyahu at that time. But he didn't... This is why he, forming he a government in 2009, he promised them uh, their kids' allowances even yeah. before the elections. Yeah, he it did. It was already in his pocket, in their pocket. So Tsipi yeah. Livni did not have a fair or a real she chance. He didn't have a chance. Eli Shai was already with him at that time. Eli Shai you know who formed the government for Netanyahu in 2009? Gidon Saar. It was Gidon Yeah. Which is a very, very... Um, skilled politician who knows his way in the Knesset halls and knows how to do secret deals in dark rooms. And I'm not sure that this fight won't be a very interesting to watch. I think this is the most interesting elections in this group of four elections in two years. I think you're going to be seeing results much closer to 2013 than to the three elections we had in a row. And I hope it's uh, the last one in this cycle. Yeah, I hope so too. And we have a lot more to discuss, but our time is running up. So I would like to thank you for now, Nili. It was really fun and enlightening to have this episode with you. And I'm sure we're going to discuss again. We need to discuss, you know, Gidon Saar, Yair Lapid, all of the interesting people you worked with. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess we're going to discuss after the elections themselves, we're going to talk about who has higher chances to form a coalition when we see the results of the upcoming election. So I want to thank you again for joining us. We're going to have some surprises by then. But thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you for listening to us for another episode of Balagan. Stay tuned for uh, the next coming episode. Bye for now. (laughs) 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.